Welcome back, literary slummers. <laughs> gonna keep going through it. I'm gonna keep going through it. <laughs> to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zone. I'm M, and I'm Anna. This <laughs> now I'm laughing. Boy, that intro was tough. This week on Shelf Aware, we are reading the first book in M's new unit on horror novels. Uh. Jade Green by Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, I think, mm. is her name. Yes. I got it wrong every single time I was trying to type it into a search engine this week. Um, <laughs> this is a YA horror novel that takes place in question mark time period. We are going to have to discuss that. Um, mm-hmm. And when did you first read this book, Em? Okay, so I'm not 100% sure. But I had some revelations while reading this book. Okay. Um, first off, the genre, horror. I read this book. It was a horror book. It scared me. I didn't like it because I was a youngin mm-hmm. and I didn't like it, it did and I wasn't prepared. It did its job. And I haven't really gotten too into horror since then. And that's why we're doing this unit. But I want to talk about something else with this book okay. that I realized. Okay. So- <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> so when I read this book, This was during a period in my life. I think I was probably like 11, Mm -hmm. I think. It came out in the year 2000 for anyone wondering at home. So, yeah. So I think that probably tracks because I would have been, it would have been like a couple years after it came out. The cover definitely looks like it came out in the year 2000. For sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I was like around 11. And at that age, my mother Mm -hmm. often read books that I was reading just to see, like, what was up, what I was into, have something to talk about, that sort of thing. And I have a very specific memory of this book. I didn't remember much about this book going in. The only thing I remembered was the color green is bad and there's a creepy hand. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. I had a very specific memory around this book Uh of my mom Uh being like, Having read this book, I think, being like Along with you hey, or before or after. Not like not like with me, but I think she like probably read it in the course of like an hour it's while I was doing something short. else. Yeah. yeah, you know. Um, and her coming to me and being like, Hey, um, if there's ever anything in a book that you want to discuss, you know, you can come and talk to me about it. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Which I <laughs> at the time thought because I think they say like the word damn or something oh, in here. And I thought <laughs> that she was upset I was reading a book with swears. So I was like, um, yeah, there's this book. The book I'm reading has like a swear in it. And she was like, now that I've read it as an adult, I can see that her thought process was like, cool. My 11 year old did not pick up on the sexual abuse in this book. Yes. I don't have to discuss it. This book was, I'm, I had such a hard time composing <laughs> my notes for this book because it deals with some heavy topics. Very. But in a way that I felt was not great. Like, in it a, was, like they handled it. I mean, it has nothing to do with the way that they portrayed anybody or like if it was offensive or problematic. No, I just thought it was stupid. Like, <laughs> I think it was very 2000s kid books, right? Yes. Because this was like, if you think about like the timeline here, this was at the right before the YA boom. So I think this probably would have been 
reclassified as YA like three years later, mm-hmm. but was maybe being shelved as like a little bit because there wasn't really a YA section, right? It was just kind of the kids section. Yes, it was all under children's at uh Borders. So I don't think I should have been reading this at 11 is the thing. Yeah, no. Now, it's interesting because on Goodreads, it is shelved as middle grade. The main character is 15. Yeah. And it's yeah, a ghost story that, one, that deals with suicide and sexual abuse. <laughs> like, Yeah, <laughs> so I think it was very like, like she wanted to talk about these topics, but there wasn't really like a market for these topics yes. because YA didn't really exist. So she put them into a middle grade book and kind of talked about them in a very roundabout manner so that when an 11 year old picked this up at the book fair and read it, they would just think that their mom was upset about the word damn being in it and not about the <laughs> child grooming. Yes. Yikes. <laughs> um, though, I mean, like, to be fair, a lot of horror does deal with these kinds of, like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah social commentary topics at times but this one was definitely it was like there was a ghost and mm-hmm. also there were these other problematic things going on in the background and they didn't have any well, i mean they had to do with each other and that one caused the other but like they were very separate things in the book. Mm, i don't know because i thought that it did a pretty good job of like because i the thing that i like about this book mm-hmm. now that i've read it as an adult so you do like it now or do you still dislike it I would say I'm lukewarm on okay. it. Like, I think it it wasn't particularly scary to me mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. as an adult. That makes sense. Um, you know? It's just a hand it, scuttling It's around. just a hand uh-huh. <laughs> scuttling about. But I think that what it did do well was make it clear to me, it was clear that the ghost is not the threat, right? right? Like, because mm-hmm. that's what it's being built up as, is that the ghost is the scary thing when actually it's the child predator who's the scary thing, yes. right? Yes. And the ghost is actually trying to protect her from the child predator probably is my interpretation of the events. Like, Yes. And that is, I think, obvious, but I, but I'm, I guess I mean to say that, like, as opposed to, like, a get out or, like, a, mm. you know, horror movies along that vein. Like, they're very... Like, where it was just kind of a ghost because a ghost is yeah a because a ghost thing. is scary gotcha. yeah yes yeah yeah I can see that yeah so I, I mean I I like this book for what it was except like I did think the ending was super abrupt like so Phyllis Reynolds Naylor was like I gotta write the 80th book in my Alice series I gotta, <laughs> I gotta peace out and go um <laughs> the the funny thing about Phyllis Reynolds Naylor that I didn't really realize until I was reading this book and looked up her other books Uh was that I actually considered her book for a different unit which was the dead dog unit because she wrote Shiloh but Shiloh doesn't yeah but Shiloh doesn't die and I had forgotten that but I was gonna have Shiloh be our first book but yeah so that's her her big one that she's known for and then she wrote like 800 other books a ton (laughs) she was prolific yeah I don't know where I was going to go with that thought. I was hoping something I interrupted would come you to like me. a rude bitch. <laughs> no, I thought something. I thought it would just occur to me to continue on with a with some sort of thought <laughs> if I just opened my mouth. Nothing. Well, here's here's the thought you can continue on with. Who would you recommend this book for? Ah, uh, I think it's a good book. Look at that segue. Thank you. <laughs> so seamless. <laughs> I think that this is a good book for young audiences. I think it for younger younger teen readers i think probably Mm. like you know ninth grade um or even 
like 13 year olds, 13, 14, I think is a good age to read. Yes. Um, I think it's, I think it's a scary for that age group. I think it's tense. I think it's, uh, dark and emotional and kind of, I don't know. It's just a little bit different, I think, than other things that maybe other, I don't know. Are there a lot of horror novels for younger teen audiences? Maybe I'm just out of the loop. I don't know. I feel like horror, I mean, I'm speaking on my ass on this one because, like I said, I didn't read horror as a kid because mm, this book freaked me the fuck out. <laughs> um, but I feel like horror probably isn't that big of a genre yeah. for, like, YA middle There's grade like, because... There's peregrines, but that's more, like, kind of superhero-y, isn't it? Or, like, X-Men yeah, style? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I feel like a lot of YA middle grade uses, like, things that are in horror aesthetically, mm-hmm. like Miss Peregrine's, where it's, like, creepy photographs and, like old architecture and like that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff but i don't know because like the point of horror right is to scare the reader yeah and i don't know that that's really a thing that like people are super comfortable with to be like i want to scare small children shit out of kids (laughs) you know (laughs) let's make a living off it (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like it's kind of a niche that maybe like a lot of people don't really specialize in yeah yeah well, hey, then maybe Jade Green is the book to fill that gap in your shelf for a young reader. Yeah. I don't know. I, I thought this was completely fine as a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was, like, obviously I'm not the intended audience yes. anymore. Yeah. Um, this is not scary for me. I mean, the child predator stuff is scary. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the humans but are like, scary, but a, the ghost is like... Mm. In an existential way, rather than like a, I am currently worried about this way. Yes, yeah, because it is kind of casual, isn't it? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, cool. So, should we talk about it? Yeah, let's get into let's it. Let's talk about this book. This Jade Green book. Jade Green. So we have Judith, who is a poor little orphan girl who is taken in by her rich uncle because no one else will have her. And she kind of expects to be treated like a servant when she shows up, but it turns out her uncle and his cook slash housekeeper lady are going to- Slash girlfriend. They're dating. I'm sure of it. I have proof of this. They definitely bone. Uh, they're going to treat her like an honored guest or family member. So she does help out around the house, but she's also allowed to come and go as she pleases. She has the ability to get a job and have her own friends or whatever. The only rule is that she is not allowed to bring anything green into the house no clothes no undies no trinkets no plants they don't even eat green things inside their house nothing green they they have a special a special table out in the garden to eat the their garden, salads where they go to eat their salads in the summertime oh wild absolutely wild <laughs> and of course judith immediately breaks this rule she has like an old photo frame that her mom gave her before she died and it's green and she can't bear to part with it because her dead mother gave it to her so she stuffs it into the bottom of her trunk and hopes no one ever finds out about it but stresses out the whole book because she thinks that her uncle will evict her if he finds out she brought something green into the home okay so you said like oh she she didn't want to part with it because her mother gave it to her but i never got that like really from the text about the foot because this is my big issue with this Mm -hmm. right was Mm -hmm. like they don't have color photographs it seems so the thing that would have made sense was if the photo of her mother had her mom wearing a green dress because then it's like can't bear to part with the photo of my mom right right right. that makes sense to me 
But the frame, I was like, mm, a frame though? Like, I don't understand why she was even slightly attached to the frame. Like, I guess her mom gave it to her, but her mom also gave her the photo. And I feel like the photo the is photo, the more important yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like... Because it, it's it just, like, an old velvet photo frame. Like, it's not... Right. Just get a different it's frame. It's not like she or, made it. And I didn't get the sense at any point that she really had an attachment to that frame. Because once it is, it does become clear that she needs to get rid of the green frame. She, she like, does. She's like, bye. Go. Be gone frame. <laughs> um, with no compunction. So, like... Except for she knows she's going to fuck... Zeke later, so that's yeah, who yeah, she ends yeah, up yeah. giving it to. She's like, mm, "We're gonna get married and fuck, so I can give this to you for now." <laughs> <laughs> but like the whole idea of her bringing the photo frame that was green seems just so. And I mean, I know some of this is like genre awareness. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I know it's a horror book ghost story. So if someone in the decrepit house says, oh, don't dare bring green things into the house. I'm going to be like, yeah, that pisses the ghost off, right? Yeah. Like, I, I can't blame her for being genre blind because she's in the book. But, like, she also is so grateful to the uncle for giving her home. I'm like, it's one rule and you couldn't follow the one rule. Yeah. It, I think if it was a different item, like, even if it was a picture or I was thinking, like, a piece of jewelry, the one piece of jewelry mm. her mom held on to, because they were like, her dad, Judah's dad died and left them in a lot of debt, so they had to sell off everything. And then the right. mom died a few years later. So, like, if it was the last piece of jewelry the mom had saved from that big thing, or, like, a hair clip she always wore, or, like, her old bra, I don't know, like, <laughs> something. <laughs> my emerald green push-up bra. Yes, and she's uh, like, I will wear it under my clothes every day, and no one will know except Zeke. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was a not great setup for it was a silly one, yeah. And I wish the book had maybe explained this more. I kind of feel like it being a green thing, and maybe this is the point, right? Mm-hmm. That it being a green thing wasn't actually the thing that set Jade Green it off. It was Charles. I think, yeah. Well, not her. even Charles. I think it was a young woman being in yeah, the house. Yeah. Right? So it was kind of like What's the point anyway? Like, this doesn't matter. But you didn't make it enough that it doesn't matter. So maybe it does matter, in which case it should have been a thing that mattered. You know? It's that classic go hard on something, please moment in this book. (laughs) Right. Pick a lane, pick a lane. (laughs) Things are going well for Judith, except she does have this gross 40 year old cousin named Charles who is perving on her hardcore. Like incredibly upsetting. It's gross. He lingering glances, inappropriate touching, asking for kisses. On the flip side, when he's being rejected by her, he starts to become very antagonistic and just mean and nasty. So he's just a mm-hmm. gross guy who feels entitled to young women. My first thought with that was that he was kind of over the top with it, mm-hmm. but then I was like, obviously not, because I didn't he even got pick up on it, it once and before. I didn't even pick up on it as an eleven year old. Yeah, so. so- like- what chance did poor judith have right (laughs) so she's dealing with that that's her uncle's son and so he doesn't live in the house thankfully he has a house in town he takes a couple of rooms in town and he's just known by everyone to be a bad sort of dude she also starts to hear these weird sounds in her closet where she keeps her trunk where she's hidden the photo photo frame and she's like well i guess we have mice in this house that's fine (laughs) But a scene very reminiscent of the scene with my mother in real life when 
She goes to the housekeeper and the housekeeper's like, if there's anything at all troubling you, Judith, you need to come to me immediately. And she's like, well, there is one thing. And the housekeeper's like, what? What's troubling you, girl? Quickly tell me. (laughs) And Judith's like, I think I have mice. (laughs) The housekeeper's like, okay, good. We don't have to discuss the suicide then. (laughs) Well, because that is a thing, too, where the housekeeper and the uncle are like, if there is anything at all in this house making you uncomfortable, tell us immediately. And I guess at the beginning of the book, you kind of think they're talking about ghostly stuff but i think they were always talking about charles (laughs) yes because then there's the scene i know this is getting a little bit ahead but there's the scene where charles starts um talking shit about judith and her essentially like calling her a slut basically at dinner right Uh uh-huh and the uncle like goes the fuck off and is like charles you need to shut the fuck up right now Mm -hmm. and like a hundred percent like me as an adult i was like oh, he did this shit to Jade Green. Uncle's pissed. Uncle knows this happened and is like, you, like, essentially the situation is the uncle thinks that Charles caused Jade Green to kill herself. Yes. Right? Yes. It's incredibly fun. And I I like that about this book. I like how fucked up it is, right? Because that's usually how this sort of thing, you know, child predators being pursued by ghosts happens in the real world. As, yes, uh, it's it's a very common thing to happen to <laughs> right <try> correct <laughs> no but it's like the whole the whole idea of this book is very like there are people in communities that everyone in the community knows is a problem right but no one wants to speak up and do something about it because they don't want to make waves yes but then, like, a newcomer comes in, and obviously the person who is a predator preys on that newcomer because the newcomer is not part of the gossip network, the mm, Whisper Network. Yet. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, you know, this town's name is Whisper. Whispers. Like, it's very on the on the nose. But well, like, and Charles is even like, don't listen to gossip at your place of work. Those right. people are idiots. And literally everyone knows Charles is a problem, right? Yes. Like, the yes. uncle knows, the housekeeper knows. Zeke, who's, like, not doesn't know or talk to charles knows he's a fucking creep mm-hmm. right like everyone knows this and but obviously judith is a newcomer and so she's like at risk right right mm-hmm. poor judith there's also these weird parts of the book where she feels like these weird phantom touches in her room and she assumes it's charles who has snuck into her room to do things like touch her lips um and <laughs> So she gets a butcher knife to keep in her room and she puts it in her side drawer thing. But I, do, do you think, end of the day, do you think the weird touches were Charles or Jade Green? I don't know. That's a good question. Right? Because what would an ultimately benevolent ghost with that is just a hand, why would that, why would it be touching her lips? So then I'm, is it like that creepy he's under the bed situation the whole time? Because she does catch him in her, in her room. Right. At a later date. So, I don't know. I feel like at some point... No, I can't. I can't victim blame. It's not her fault. She's 15. Right. I mean, like, end of the day. Yeah. And he's a 40-year-old cousin who is the son of her rich uncle who's taken her in. She's afraid to... I know this isn't the point at all, but does the math add up there? Because she's like... Well, she's like, my my parents parents had me old, and his, his had him young... And there was also like a 12 year 
age gap between them. But I still don't think that adds up. I don't know, man. Because he would have been, uncle would have been 35 years older than her, right? No, 25. You're right. That's how math works. <laughs> I had to think about it. That I was like, uh, she's five. I want to say, I want to say that's wrong, but. I doubt no, it definitely is. Now. It definitely is. <laughs> okay, so he's she's he's twenty five years older than uh huh, and and Charles's dad was twenty three when he had him, so so that would have made her father like ten because he was like ten or eleven because I think he said twelve or thirteen years age. Yeah, gap. I guess that would. Work. I guess so. Complaint withdrawn. <laughs> Uh, anyway judith gets a job at a local hat shop and her job is to measure out ribbons for bonnets or something like that's her whole job they're making a lot of bonnets in this small town i don't get it okay um she makes a friend named violet who is like the apprentice bonnet maker i think her name is violet it is because i don't know why it's violet because that seems weird to me Jade that Green in and this, Violet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In this book where the town is named Whisper and the ghost girl's name is Jade Green. Like, what's the deal with the other girl with a name that's also uh, a color? Yeah, she just loves purple and hasn't told anybody. I was trying to figure it out the whole book and it really, <laughs> really <laughs> kind of distracted gonna, me Violet from the point. Come in on this. Right. Uh, Violet tells Judith some gossip about how a previous girl lived in the house but killed herself, and it was very tragic. She goes to confront the housekeeper about this, and the housekeeper divulges this whole story. There was another teenage girl who lived in the house previous to Judith named Jade Green, who was basically a street urchin that Judith's uncle decided to take in out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, And she was beloved by everyone, especially Judith's uncle, who viewed her as a daughter. He didn't have any girls, so he really wanted a daughter, so he treated her like one. But then she killed herself. And here's here's where I had a problem with the tone Mm -hmm. of my notes. Because this is, it's very, I'm not here to joke about suicide or about sexual abuse at all. But everyone is like... This girl killed herself in a very, it's very sad, but the way she did it is just a hundred percent suspicious. No one thought to question this at all. No, it's very odd that, I mean, it was a different time and maybe they didn't know how, like. No, they knew, they knew. Knives work. (laughs) So this girl, they found her dead body in the attic with her hand cut off and the cleaver in the other, other hand. And, and everyone like, was like, she chose to end her life by cutting off her hand and cutting bleeding off her out. own hand. I, what? This doesn't make sense in terms of the townspeople's reaction. It also just doesn't make sense. No. Because, like, you wouldn't just, if you got, if you were, if your hand got cut off by your your own other hand or another's, then, like, you wouldn't just die immediately right you'd be like it would take a while it would take a, a second or two like assumably like, the housekeeper or uncle would have heard or she could have gone right, down the or stairs she with her legs which were both still attached like yes. you know but like the way it's described is that she cut off her hand and this, there's a big with pool a big of blood cleaver. that left a stain yes so like she didn't like drag or go anywhere 
So like, did he, spoiler alert, she, it wasn't a suicide. She was killed. Yes. So did he like cut off her hand and then just kind of like hold her there until she bled out? Like what? I don't. Because then how does he get away with, with walking with no blood completely stains. bloodied? No blood. Right. Exactly. Just Horatio Kane would have figured this out. Lickety split. <laughs> they needed to call Poirot. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I think it was. It was very. What's I? What I? I read this and then I just laughed. I was like, no. <laughs> it it was one of those things where Miss Reynolds Naylor, mm-hmm. Mrs. Reynolds Naylor, had the idea of wouldn't it be creepy if there was a ghost hand. Because like hands can't Fair. talk. It's good. Gr- it's I mean, sign language, but you know, but oh, generally yeah. hands can't talk much. It's creepy and it would be gross and disconcerting, and it wouldn't be able to like tell you that it was chill and whatever. It wouldn't be able to communicate the way that like a full on ghost would. Right. So wouldn't that be a creepy way to do it? Yeah. So she needs to have her hand cut off. So I'm gonna work backwards from there, and this is what I came up with. <laughs> Let's workshop this a little bit. I feel like okay, <laughs> we need to have some sort of dismembered body part creeping mm-hmm. or skulking around the house mm-hmm. so how can we how can we make this make sense maybe this was the problem i don't think you can do a dismembered body part as mm-hmm. a framed suicide right because yeah. that's such an intense way to commit suicide that wouldn't work because you would like pass out from the pain before you got through your own bone right oh here this she she they live on the seaside mm-hmm. okay she um left a suicide note mm-hmm. and said she was gonna go jump into the sea and all that washed up was a hand okay <laughs> i like it but i do want to say that when you said you started this i was like mm, eaten by a shark <laughs> bit off her. Yeah, the shark ate most of her. It was just the hand that it's burped back out. (laughs) Um, Okay, yeah. I also, I feel like it would be so much easier to make it seem like an accident, right, than a suicide. She fell down the stairs and her hand fell off. Again, I get why she decided to go with suicide because it, like, ties into her, like, Judith's mom who is, was institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of like, oh, there's parallels and whatever. But that yeah. wasn't such a thing that it really justifies it being a suicide, right? Yeah, yeah. It would have made more sense for it to be like, she was walking in the woods and there was a bear trap and she got her arm in it and then died. And it turns out Charles pushed her into the bear trap. It, there was a bear trap in her bed <laughs> and she didn't notice it when she was climbing into bed that night and it got her arm and she bled out. An unfortunate accident. Very sad. Yeah. Plus, like, accidents are always so much more scary, I think, in this situation. Because mm. it's it's kind of like, you know, was it an accident? Like, did she, Right. Or did, like, a dark force do it? Or did mm-hmm. a person do it? I don't know. I mean, Again, I think it's it's to draw the really parallels with the mom. But, it, like I said, yeah. it, that didn't really go anywhere. It was no. very yellow wallpaper-esque, mm-hmm. right? Where it was, like, trying to be a commentary on, like, women and mental health. Oh, and Judith's whole bedroom was yellow. Mmm. Mm. Parallels, parallels. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't I don't think it pushed it enough to no, really no. go I mean, anywhere with that. A, yeah. A yeah, I guess I can't. Early 2000s, <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. Meh. 
Uh, after after Jade Green died, the uncle forbid anything green from entering the house because Jade Green loved green. God, <laughs> like Violet, like. She tries to rationalize this later in the book. She's like, yeah, well, they always say that, like, ghosts uh, will haunt a place or they'll, they'll be, like, um, what is the word I'm looking for? They'll be um, called to something mm. that they summoned by something that they really have a fondness for. And, yeah. you know, some people really like a piece of jewelry and some people really like a house but jade green we all knew what jade green loved was green like she just gets a, she just she gets the whole color that was her that was her thing which is why i think i think probably like that violet's theory her thesis is correct uh-huh. that that ghosts are drawn to a thing but it's not green it's not right? it's like not I, it's, just it's, the it's, essence of a green right i think <laughs> Jade Green was drawn to the situation. Yes. And by which I do girl. not mean the man from Jersey Shore, but of course. Oh my fucking God. I forgot all about him <laughs> and his existence. Um, but yeah, because that's the thing. It's not like the other people in the house. Like you said, they all act at first, it seems like they're hinting towards being aware of a ghost, mm-hmm. but they're not. They're hinting towards being aware that Charles is a creep. Yes. Which really begs the question of why didn't they set up more protections for Judith, but okay. Yes, yes. Because <laughs> um, they thought if they just had a stern talking to with Charles, he'd behave. Oh, yeah. A 40-year-old man is very likely to change right. his entire way of life. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that the uncle banned Green from the house because he realized it was summoning Jade Green's spirit. No, I think just... he legitimately just was like, Jade Green really liked Green and I don't want it around. Jade Green. Green. No. I will eat a salad, though. <laughs> there's there's a scene. <laughs> I need that, that salad. If I it's... eat the greens, then... <laughs> It won't make she can't me see sad. them in my tummy. It'll be like Jade Green is here with me until I eat my next salad. I was gonna say, I'm not gonna get into the vibes from the uncle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> did you early on in the book they try to set up this Green thing also as being like, ooh, so mysterious that he won't let Green in the house and that there's no Green at all. And there's a couple of ways that they do this, right? Like they they straight up say she's not allowed to bring Green in the house. Mm -hmm. But they also like, there's the thing where they're at dinner and oh my gosh, there's no Green food here. How bizarre, how Mm -hmm. utterly strange, which that kind of works. But then there's like a line where she's like, I looked around the living room and I saw that it was all in shades of gray and brown and red. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And living room colors. <laughs> like normal colors. <laughs> like I I don't think that the idea of like green being excluded from the decor would really be that noticeable. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like- <laughs> I, I agree. I mean, I'm just looking around my room. I guess I have some like green paperback books, but I could easily take them out of my room and not notice. I'm saying this while seated next to a mattress that is covered in a green uh, sheet, but that is a personal choice because I like green. I think I could eschew it if need be. <laughs> but what if it was a photo frame that I gave you right before I died? 
no, it's sad. You have to keep it forever. I'm going to send you one right now. Hold on. Let me get on Amazon and search green photo frame. I'm going to send me a green photo frame. I have so many photo frames in my house I want to see if I can find one that already has a a photo of a ghost in it. (laughs) Make it really spooky. What if you sent me a photo frame and I just framed the cover of this book? That is also scary because look at the cover of this book, everyone listening to our podcast. Look at this cover of the book. It's just like, it's a, it's a face being scared, wide eyes, wide open mouth, terrified. But then they added like a blur filter to it. Yeah. And so it's like, just, it's creepy. I hate it. It's a spooky, spooky book. A spooky book, spooky cover. Judith learns the story, and she begins to start seeing a disembodied hand scuttling around the house, and it does things like plays the piano, a song on the piano that Jade Green was particularly fond of, or chopping with a cleaver on a cutting board really hard, like making deep grooves into it. It's very spooky. But then also, like everything else in Judith's life is looking fantastic she's got everything's a new... coming up judah yeah she's got a boyfriend named zeke who drives a horse and carriage around town he mm. often gives her rides and takes her to the beach unchaperoned and they kiss and stuff like okay and they walk next to each other and their shoulders brush against oh each other which what does that even mean and one time he saw her ankles and she was like i just i couldn't even care and i didn't i didn't care how the housekeeper would tut at me for showing my ankles to a boy when does this novel take place em? well anna if you go to the part where zeke and judith go on a romantic date to a graveyard yes judith um, does want to go see jade green's grave because she is planning to go bury the hands there though she never does but they find the headstone and it read thus jade green april 7th 1869 to february 22nd 1884 and we know that was three years ago so it's 1887 okay does this does it line up for you because i guess I think so. Okay. They wore bonnets then. That was my main concern. I guess the thing for me (laughs) was, so we have Judith who is allowed to go around unchaperoned with a boy. Mm-hmm. Um, they go on dates, like actual dates. They spend a whole day together at the beach. Zeke throws her in the water and she's, you know, whatever. And then Violet is also like, I went skinny dipping with my boyfriend the other night. Yeah. And I guess like, yeah, people in the 1880s, the 1800s in general also had to have rich internal lives, but it's just, it just was very anachronistic to me. I think part of the reason it might feel off, and I may be projecting a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the reason it may feel off is because most of our, at least my, literary interaction with this time period is Victorian romance novels, yeah, right? Yeah, that's true. So number one, those are typically, not always, but typically set in England mm-hmm. um, and typically of a certain social class. And I think that it is accurate to, A, understand that even... Even if there was some lip service paid to the idea that, like, women aren't supposed to be around men without chaperones, and that might have been the social more of the time, that there's mm-hmm. a difference between social mores and what actually happened. And mm-hmm. also, I think that there is, that it, it would not be unreasonable to assume that there may be different levels of strictness when it came to women's interaction with men in the 1800s when it comes to, like, 
upper class England that are featured in romance novels versus upper middle class to lower class in the case of Violet. I think she's supposed to be pretty poor Mm. in America, land of the free, where you may show your ankles wantonly. Wow. What a time to be alive. (laughs) I also did want to shout out the fact that Judith is from Ohio, so that automatically made me like her. Ew. Um, <laughs> so yeah, everything else in Judah's life is great. She's got a boyfriend. Her uncle loves her so much. So, so, so much. They like play hide and seek in the garden together. They have long conversations. He teaches her checkers. It's great. I kind of thought I wasn't going to bring this up, but now I'm gonna do it. I- talk about that uncle vibe. <laughs> I kind of thought that the twist of this book was going to be that the uncle was actually the one who had creeped on Jade Green and caused uh, her to kill herself. And that Charles was like maybe a good guy? like trying. To no, 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 bad. no. Charles was also bad. Okay, okay. But just okay. that he like learned it from the uncle. <laughs> I learned it from you, dad. I learned it from you, dad. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Because like his whole vibe of being like, I want to play checkers with my 15-year-old niece. I want to play hide and seek in the topiaries. I was like, this is, this is weird to me. Yeah. I don't know. I've always been a little bit squicked out by that. Just like older gentlemen wanting the company of a young woman because they're so youthful and, mm-hmm. you know, they just bring so much light mm-hmm. and air into my life and blah, blah, blah. So entertaining. Like, it's just kind of. It's I'll tell you what made me change my mind on the uncle being potentially evil, though, uh-huh. was when I realized that he was in a committed relationship with the housekeeper, with, which I oh, do want to talk about. Let's because talk there, about this. There is a scene <laughs> in which uh, Jade Green has been up to her ghostly ways playing the piano in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. And the next morning, Judith goes downstairs and either the housekeeper or the uncle starts questioning her about it and says, like, that... They heard the piano in the middle of the night and they came out to check to see if she was up and her door was closed. But they don't actually say I, they say we. So like these two were They were in up. the same room. They were in the same room checking because they're like. I bet they have like a, a door and adjoining, conjoining? Mm-hmm. What now? That door that, you know. That yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a hotel door. door. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or like the door that I have in my house because that's how my apartment is set up. So you can creep on all your house guests. So I can go. Well. My neighbors, like I, we have. Oh a, shit! I have, it's to your yeah, neighbor's house? I have a oh, locked door my. between me and my neighbor's house because it's like townhouse style apartments. Do you and put like, your heaviest furniture in front of it? Because I no, would. I don't put any furniture in front of it because I don't know if it might be used for something like fire exit or fire escape i don't know how and what way that would make sense but like i just it's been if every other exit is Mm -hmm. is they gotta get through my house yeah i was thinking of you i was not even thinking of oh i was to be honest (laughs) (laughs) but like like that's a completely irrational thought because that door is locked and can only be opened by our landlord so like that wouldn't help anyway there I was an embarrassing amount of years old before, like, I stopped when I was staying in hotels by myself, either, Mm -hmm. like, for work or other traveling by myself. I would always, even if it was a nice hotel with the doors on the inside, (laughs) not a motel with the doors on the outside, because I, you know, you stay in both when you're in college, you don't have a lot of money. I would always, always, always put furniture in front of the door. 
in the hotel room. So oh, I thought you were going to say you tried to open the door to creep on the no, other people. Oh, no. <laughs> that was no. giving me like secondhand embarrassment. Like, I like for the lock. idea of getting caught doing that. Oh, my God. No, I would lock, I would deadbolt, and I would move furniture in front of the door <laughs> until I was like 28. <laughs> <laughs> Just... uh, read, I read too many like Reddit threads that are like, wow, the hotel messed up my reservation and they gave the next person to check in my same exact room and they walked in on me as I was coming out of the shower and I was just like oh oh I don't like uncomfortable. that yes anyway Charles gets super jealous of Judith because she has her father's love or no excuse me well Charles gets presumably she jealous. has her father's love as well but <laughs> dead father's love dead uh <laughs> Judith has her uncle's love and the love of a bow, a new bow. Mm. And you know Charles is trying to hone in on that. That tasty, tasty Zeke who has the blondest hair Judith has ever seen. And he can ride a unicycle and blow mm. kisses to her from it. <sighs> Fabulous. He was going to run away to the circus with Judith. Fabulous Zeke. <laughs> oh. So <laughs> Judith is like, I'm too scared of this hand. So I have to get rid of my green picture frame. So in order to try and get rid of it, she gives it to Zeke and she puts a picture of herself in it from when she was 10 years old because it's the only picture she could find that would fit the frame. And Zeke Absolutely is like, unacceptable. Why did you give me this young ass picture of you? This I would have preferred an older picture of you. You could have just gotten a new picture frame. And she's like, no, it hasn't nope. been that one. I do not understand what... Zeke sees in Judith. <laughs> I don't either, except Quite that she frankly. was like she was new in town and, and showing so those he, ankles. And he had, and she had that uncle money, probably. Mm, you're right. He's a gold digger. Yeah, hundred uh. percent. Because he has, he's, he's just his father owns some sort of horse and carriage company, and he just works that job. So, because like literally, a conversation they have later on is Zeke being like, "Well, gosh, Judith, I mean." It sure would be nice if we could talk about something other than Jade Green for once. And Judith being like, <laughs> yes, yes, Zeke, I understand. But first we must visit Jade Green's grave. <laughs> <laughs> and if I do that, I promise I will never talk about Jade Green again. I just need the closure. Gosh, Judith, it sure is. It sure was uh, nice of y'all to give me this uh, photo yourself as a 10-year-old. I'm uh, not quite Did you sure notice what I'm it supposed was to green. do with it. The frame is jade green. <laughs> oh, poor Zeke. Just trying to get that uncle money. He just wants that uncle money. Uh, <laughs> eventually, oh, yeah, so it doesn't work. Also, the hand still creeps around the house. So Judah's like, darn it, I really fucked up. So uh, Judah's uncle eventually announces one night that he is going to Charleston to change his will. This takes place in South Carolina, by the way. He's going to Charleston to change his will. Charles will get the house, 10% of the money. No, the will... the housekeeper gets the house. Oh, shit. I thought, Char okay. The housekeeper gets the house and 10% of his money. And then Charles and Judith have to split the other 90%. Right. And Charles goes into a rage at this news and leaves the house. Charles is very unhappy. Extremely unhappy. And around this time, the housekeeper also sees the disembodied hand creeping around and Judith has to confess that she brought in a green item. And the housekeeper is like, well, what's done is done. I guess we live with a ghost now. <laughs> she's like super chill about it. Yes, yeah, she's very understanding. 
And also this brings to an end the side plot about Judith being slightly worried that she is also going mad like her mother. And Mm. it led nowhere and did nothing for the story. So again, Mm. I'm not entirely sure why it's in here. (laughs) Eventually, things reach a climax and the spooky hand shows up while Judith and the housekeeper are in the cellar. And Judith closes the door to keep the hand out. But the hand is like, idiot, and locks them in. (laughs) So they're trapped in the cellar. Uncle is gone to Charleston. So they're like, well, worst case scenario, we'll be in here for two days. (laughs) But while they're in there, they hear Charles sneak in and he's like, it's so like comically villainous. uh, The whole monologue, he's like, hmm, looks like the ladies are out. Guess it's my chance to sneak around the house and see what I can find. Let's see what old Charles can get up to. Yeah, (laughs) he's good old Charles. I'm twirling my mustache. Listen to me. Open your drawers. And rifle around. Oh, a pair of bloomers. (laughs) Uh, And also, he sets the house on fire. (laughs) Which is very dastardly indeed. (laughs) So the housekeeper and Judith are pretty sure they're just going to die down in the cellar. But Zeke shows up in the nick of time. Good old Zeke. He lets them out and the fire is put out. And so really nothing bad happened. Except Other I think Charles stole their money, right? Yeah, Charles stole some, stole their earnings and their earrings. Weird. Yeah, I don't know if he thought <laughs> he was going to wear them or what. But Judith starts to question, did the hand lock them in the cellar because it knew Charles was going to show up and set the house on fire so that Judith and the housekeeper would die? Or did it lock them in there so Charles would assume they were out of the house and therefore not hurt them? So... To be honest, at this point in the book, I kind of feel like the latter opinion is really far-fetched for Judith to have come to. Because all she knows is that this hand, like, fucking hates her. (laughs) (laughs) I think both of these options, and this is possibly a plot hole, but both Mm. of these options seem fairly unlikely. Because on on the option of the hand did it to protect them, like you said, that seems like a choice for this hand to make this hand that all we know of it is that it likes to play the piano and, and use cleavers and use cleavers. Um, But on the flip side, the idea that the hand locked them in there because it knew Charles was going to set the house on fire requires either that this hand is in cahoots with Charles and Charles Mm -hmm. has been talking to a ghost hand and telling it his plans. It sits on his shoulder and he pets it. Right. Or (laughs) the ghost hand is not just a ghost hand, but a psychic ghost hand. I like both of these options a lot. I present two things. Okay. If the hand and Charles were in cahoots, do Uh you think they would hold hands? (laughs) Oh, okay. I don't like that imagery. Because first off, would it... If you were... Okay. Because (laughs) if if they're in cahoots, Mm -hmm. you have to assume that Charles is not the one that killed her, even though he was. Right. You have to assume he didn't do the bad. So do they hold hands? Because that's the only way that the hand can show that, like... But my question about them holding hands Uh would be, if I am a disembodied hand and Uh I'm holding hands with someone... Mm -hmm. Am I sticking straight up like this? Like I would be if I was a 
connected to a person or would it just be Charles holding the hand as it dangles limply from mm. his hand? In my mind, both are it's... upsetting in different ways. <laughs> in my mind, it's very comical and it is like rigor mortis has sat in and it's standing upright. Because we have to, like, the hand has the mobility to play mm-hmm. the piano. I think it can, because it doesn't just flop around on the keys. It plays a tune. I truly do not like this unless the ghost hand, I think it's like an uncanny valley thing where the idea mm-hmm. of, like, the hand, if it's just cut straight through, bothers yeah. me. That's sticking straight like into the air. Like, right at the wrist. Mm-hmm. And the bone sticks out. Very that's, cartoonish. Yes. That's the thing. If the bone is sticking out like a cartoon bone, I'm okay with that. Because then I'm like, yes. oh, it's a cartoon. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. And it's like rounded at the end. It's yeah. like there's no break. It's just yes. as if someone took a bone later after the fact and stuck it in. Yeah. Then I'm yes. okay with it, weirdly. Yeah. But yeah. I don't like it just being a straight through hand cut. Yeah, that's gross. I don't want to see it. Which is actually probably what it is. <laughs> it's just like red and then yeah. there's a bone that comes out. <laughs> the other funny image, if it's a psychic ghost hand, is the hand by itself doing that like mystic hand waving over a crystal ball but it's just the one (laughs) Hmm. very good i like both of those uh but yeah honestly like how does judith just jumps to both of these conclusions she's like i this hand is either very evil or very very nice and kind but the thing is that she is correct in one of these conclusions and it doesn't make sense because I needed more like I understand you have for it to be a scary ghost story you have to have hauntings but mm-hmm. like why why did you include the one where it was the menacing cutting board chopping like I'm okay with that because I think it's like I'm okay with all of like the tonal of the hand like mm-hmm. I'm okay with it being super creepy up till this point and then Judith figuring it out what I don't get is again how did the hand know that Charles was coming back both how did it know it needed to protect them it just follows charles all the time it's in his pocket and he as he was so so loud about his thoughts while he was in the house he was also loud about his thoughts as he was walking there and he was like i'm gonna go light my house on fire and the hand was like ah (laughs) better go lock those dumb girls in the cellar (laughs) but i can see like i can see how all of the haunting stuff what Mm. could be the hand trying to communicate, right? Like the chopping, though. Yeah, it's saying, "Get a knife, girl. Get a knife. <laughs> Get a I'm knife. You later. You need a knife. Stab him." <laughs> what I would have liked is more like, um, like creepy possessive hand ghost. You know, mm. like like Judith is in the mirror and she's combing her hair, and then the ghost hand is there brushing her hair with her. That or like, uh, like against her cheek, yeah. the hand is coming down. Like you know, saying like, "Oh, beautiful girl, I don't want your visage ruined by this nasty man." Right, right. I also yeah. wish that's the kind of creepy I would have liked, but it's a children's book, so that's true. I also <laughs> wish that the piano, the whole piano thing, the hand, the ghost hand plays the piano, and it always plays the song that Jade Green liked, mm-hmm. and I wish that. It made more sense because, like, they put the song that Jade Green, like, the lyrics to the song uh-huh. in the book. And the song is about a man being poisoned by getting bitten by a snake and a woman sucking the poison out and then both That's of them dying. That's a gross song. It is a gross like, song. Judith reads these lyrics and she's like, oh, yeah, I like this. She's like, I let me play, let me play this song. 
But like, this would have been really good if Jade Green died from getting poisoned, but she didn't. So it's like, if it was like, if it was a song about like, oh, a man came in and he cut off my hand and mm-hmm. left me for dead. But there are actual folk songs about like hands getting chopped off. That's a thing. Oh, well then. So like, or even just stuff before her death that could have pointed to her liking this song in life because Charles was creeping on her. But like, it was a murder. It was a murder. It was a murder all along. No, I, I mean, more like like a song about a girl being victimized or like being like creeped on by maybe not creeped yeah, on, but like a folk yeah. song about like a a like a girl having to escape a man or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But the song as it is is about two lovers who. Like, well, maybe not. Yeah, no, it's lovers because it's took him home to Molly Deer, which made him feel so very queer, Um, which hmm, let's unpack that. Um, But like it's a song about two young people who ostensibly care for each other, both accidentally dying. And that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. So I'm like, why did you put the entire lyrics of this song in this book when it has nothing to do with anything? (sighs) Maybe, is that a song we're supposed to know? I don't think so. Let me Google it real quick, see if it's okay. a real folk song. Oh, you know what? I think it is a real song. Ooh. Is it in the public domain? Can we just play it? Um, So it is an early folk song. Okay. I was wondering if there was some historical context or something that would like be like, oh, it was thought to be about this, but really it was about murder. But like, no, it seems like it's pretty much exactly what it is, except it might be based on a real story of these two yeah this young couple who this happened to and like that's cool that's a cool ballad you put in here but like again it doesn't have anything to do with the plot like why did you put the whole lyrics in here i don't know it must be in the public domain then oh yeah for sure it's from like the 1700s so yeah 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 yeah. like i don't know maybe springfield family is like we gotta we're gonna keep our copyrights on that (laughs) wicked serpent song so all that happens a hurricane rolls into town and everyone has to evacuate judith's uncle leaves with the housekeeper in one carriage with all of their valuables and there's no more room for judith because they're just so rich they have so many valuables so she and zeke stay behind to like board up the windows of the house because they have a beautiful stained glass window in the house that judith's uncle is very attached to and then they're gonna follow on zeke's carriage However, while they're doing that, Charles sneaks into the house and he traps Judith so that he can have his way with her. And as he's preparing to do so, he reveals that he's the one who killed Jade Green because she also denied his advances. And also probably because of the money. Like, it, and all, it's yeah, kind of was, implied that probably his dad tried to give Jade Green money. Do the same shenanigans. Yeah. Oh my God, Marty. Do the same shenanigans, yes. Uh, but right as things are looking pretty grim, the disembodied hand shows up. Artie, you have to go away. The disembodied hand shows up and starts strangling Charles. Judith then runs off to go find Zeke, and they return to the room to find Charles dead. He's stabbed to death with the butcher knife that Judith had tucked away in her room in chapter two or whatever. And (laughs) Judith looks out the window and sees the hand scuttling away, never to be seen again. Which, all right, that was an ending. (laughs) That's it. I tell you, she was like, Phyllis was like, I got books to write. I got other shit to do. 
Yes. I'm I, I'm past deadline on this one. It's just there was more chapters, but it's got it's just got to end. We're here. just going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ending was abrupt. Um I like the fact that the hand is the one to deal with Charles. Because I think in some ways, in some ways, the story really isn't about Judith at all. It's about the titular Jade Green, and she's really the, mm-hmm. the main character of the story, and it's uncovering her her tragic backstory and letting her find vengeance, you know? Because, like, what's yes. Judith's arc in this, right? It's like, she finds out she's not crazy, I guess, which, good for her. But that, like, gets resolved halfway through the book. And then she, she gets decides, money and a boyfriend. Yeah, she gets what money and a boyfriend. Like it doesn't seem like she really has much character. Like, and part of it's because the ending's so abrupt. Like it doesn't really seem like she learned anything from this, right? It was just kind of right. like she was there. Things happened to her. Yeah. So I kind of feel like she's not really the main character, and Jade no. Green's the main character. It's just unfortunately she got most of the page. Done. Yeah, and it's just more of like a story about finding out what happened to jade green but mm-hmm. but then it's it's still not because she doesn't really have a character arc either because like she's, she's dead, dead in a hand she remains dead i mean i guess she gets to be at peace now maybe or her she hand does i don't know i don't know just it's just a little ghost story for little kids spooky yuki so cool jade green we're done with you yeah but overall you know it was a it, yeah it was completely read. fine just we're a little too old and that's also okay yes so moving forward mm. what do you hope happens for you with the horror genre um okay so obviously because like i said the reason i don't, didn't like horror as a kid was because it scared me and i didn't like that and i was scared of emotions mm. being scared sucks i don't like it well, here's the thing. I like it more now because, like, mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned before, I think that I like horror you movies. Like scary movies. Yeah, yeah. But I've only really gotten into those in the last five years. And I think, like, in general, like, that's a thing that I have had to, you know, talking of shelf awareness, you know, self awareness and whatever. Um, <laughs> like, I've gotten more comfortable with the idea of not being in control you know Mm, like mm -hmm. i'm Mm -hmm. more okay with going on roller coasters with loops now you know (laughs) (laughs) but so what really with this genre more than any of the other genres that we've done it's less of this is a trope or a thing i don't like let's fix me not liking it and more of just this is a thing that i haven't experienced and would like to try to find more about right Mm, yeah um so i'm cool with anything i would like it to be legitimately scary like i want something creepy and generally i do creepy more than like scary you know like i like Mm -hmm, creepy mm -hmm. better but Mm -hmm. and i mean i guess in a book it kind of has to be creepy right because you can't do jump scares like (laughs) (laughs) the text on the next page is just really big (laughs) um I think that's cool. No, I don't really know a lot about horror either. Mm. And that's just, I also have not really gravitated toward the genre, not for any particular reason. I don't, I find personally, when I'm reading a book, I don't really get a lot of, it's going to make me sound like a robot. I I don't really get a lot of emotions from books. (laughs) Like I don't cry from books that I've read. I don't really ever feel particularly scared either. Mm. So I think that's probably why I don't, 
I, the only thing I really feel secondhand embarrassment from a lot of books and that makes me need to close them and walk away. And I feel a lot of frustration from things because I'm like, why is this? Why is so many bad things happening to one character? I don't, that's why I don't like sad books. I'm like, when will something good happen and nothing ever happens? Um, so I'm also interested to see if I can find a book that will be scary and that I will also find scary. So this is kind of a learning experience yeah. for both of us. Let's be scared together. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> I do think I will try and stick more towards this like uh, ghost story aspect okay. or like creepy house, haunted yeah. house sort of thing. Because I feel like genre, the genre as a whole can go in so many different directions. Mm-hmm. Like what really counts like it does goth do gothic novels count as horror novels yada 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 so i think i'm gonna try and stick with this oh my god everyone in my house please shut up (laughs) we're almost there (laughs) going to try and stick with haunted houses um just so also that in the future other halloweens maybe we can revisit horror (laughs) let's just call this let's just call this unit haunted house unit then haunted house haunted house books yes do it I have a really good one, I think, for the next one. Ooh. I'm not going to tell you yet because no, of course it's not, not what we do. Um, but I am excited to read it. It's been on my list for a while. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. Well, looking towards other books, what other books yeah. have you been reading, Anna? What have I read? Um, I did read yesterday because I was like, I don't read scary books. Let me find a scary book. I did read The Grown Up by Gillian Flynn, Gillian Flynn, mm-hmm. of Gone Girl fame. Um, it's like a little 64-page book that Book of the Month gave me for free like two or three years ago. <laughs> and um, it is a haunted house story. It was interesting. I know we're supposed to recommend reading here, but I don't think... I can't recommend it to everyone. I don't think Gillian Flynn's writing style is for everybody. Mm. Um but it was an interesting, interesting take on the genre. Um, it was a little bit the omen, um, but also not a little bit. We have to talk about Kevin, also not. Um, so I read that. It was, it was, it was fine. Mm-hmm. I'm not like hugely versed in the genre, so maybe that's why I thought it was good. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Also, I always recommend Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. This time I of year. was thinking that reading this book, mm-hmm. and I haven't even read Rebecca. <laughs> it's so good. You need to read it because the Netflix movie's coming out in October. Now my phone's going off. The Netflix movie's coming out in October, and Army Hammer is in it, and Lily James. I'm very excited. It looks good. So read Rebecca. That's not the pit book I picked for our next one. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> and then. I'm also currently reading Mexican Gothic by mm. uh, Sylvia Sil- Moreno Garcia. Thank you, Silvio Sylvia Moreno Garcia, author we talk about a lot on this podcast. Apparently, <laughs> um, I started it yesterday. It's very good. Oh, good. I just I think I'm just primed to love everything she writes. So that's been on my list because yeah, same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the cover is gorgeous. It is. Mm-hmm. Not- what about you? Um. Okay, I've got two very loose recommendations because I'm not going to lie, guys. I have not been reading much the last like couple weeks because I've had stuff going on. So, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> That's uh, fine. We don't all need to read all the time. Yeah. Um, but I do have a couple that I'm recommending in the very loosest sense. The first one, its connection to this book, is that I read it at the same time. And I also remember very little about it besides having general positive vibes. Okay. Uh, which is Carolyn B. Cooney's Goddess of Yesterday. Mm, I've not heard of that one. Well, and 
like Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, she's much better known for a different book, uh, which is the book series Face on the Milk Carton. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. Goddess of Yesterday, what I remember of it was like, and this is also, I might have been looking into it to maybe be doing it for our retail or our uh, parallel novels thing, but it, uh-huh. I decided not for various reasons. Um, but it is a book that is like kind of a retelling of the Trojan War from the viewpoint of a servant, I think, if I'm getting that right. Okay. Um, and it's it was cool. It was one of my like early introductions into a genre that I very much love, mm, which is formative. like yeah, mythology, Greek mythology retellings and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I read that around the same time, so I'd you know recommend that. Maybe knowing that I haven't read it in like young and approved, like. <laughs> well over a decade the other one is one that i just started uh but i'm reading sarah waters affinity which is good things about sarah waters yeah i hadn't either and it's kind of Mm -hmm. a gap in my queer reading list lgbt representation yeah so that's mainly why i read it but it also takes place in the victorian era kind of like this book Mm -hmm. so you know connections her books are kind of chunky, aren't they? A little bit. This one's not too bad, mm. though. I think that's what's mostly put me off. I'm like, oh, yeah. I don't want to read a long book. I'm lazy. <laughs> but I just started it, so we'll see if I still like it by the end. Mm. So far, it's good, though. Um, I guess also, at this point in the podcast, we look to the future of our next few episodes. Yes. And I believe you are to have a book picked out for our parallel novels. I do, and I'm not happy about it. But good. Here's That's where our we are. Best kind of episodes. Uh so okay, so as Anna said, parallel novels is Anna's unit, and the next book is supposed to be kind of like a prime example or a formative example or an early example or whatever. Um I had some trouble with this just because I It's a hard one. Yeah, I wanted it there's a lot of like retellings, but I wanted to make mm-hmm. sure it was like a retelling from a different point of view um and some a lot of retellings are either like sequels or like prequels or like retellings but in modern day or whatever changed it yeah and my first instinct was to do one that we had talked about which is wide sargasso sea um but i felt like that was a little bit too prequely okay so although i don't know because i haven't read it so maybe someone's gonna yell at me and be like no you dumbass that would have been the perfect pick um, but I instead am going with an author that I don't really like much. And this author has many books that could be considered maybe retellings or reimaginings or pastiches. The most famous being kind of a reimagining of the Bible, but with more lions and witches and wardrobes. Uh, <laughs> what? So we're not doing Chronicles of Narnia. Oh. <laughs> um, but the book we're gonna read is the book Till We Have Faces by you guessed it, C.S. Lewis, which is a reimagining, okay. from what I can tell, of the Cupid and Psyche Suke. I've heard it pronounced different ways. Story okay. from what's it called? Uh, Till We Have Faces. Till we have faces. Okay. But it's a reimagining of that myth from the viewpoint of Suke's older sister, who is a villain in the original myth. Okay. Um, so 
hopefully that's good. I thought it it fits kind of the brief. We'll see. Yeah. I've always heard interesting things about C.S. Lewis's other works, but yeah. I've only ever read. I haven't even read all of Chronicles of Narnia, to be honest. I've read a few of them. I, I The way I talked about it made it sound like I really hate C.S. Lewis, and I super don't because I used to read a lot of his stuff. I think I'm, I was mm-hmm. just kind of burnt out on him. Um, I think that's 100% fair. Because I have read all of Chronicles of Narnia, and I've read uh, the Screwtape Letters for school and i think there was another one but yeah so i've I've read a decent amount of mr lewis's work mr lewis but hopefully it's it's a bit earlier in the timeline than midnight sun so we can kind of see maybe some uh it's bringing some different things to the table than stephanie meyer does yes yes i think most importantly it's a different author Mm -hmm. well i yeah, it has to be because it's mythology. Right. But. That was kind of one of my, like, I was a little bit like, mm, does this really count? Because it's more, it's less of a full book, you know? But mm-hmm. I think there is actually, like, specifically Ovid's kind of the, like, definitive version of it. So, like, there is mm-hmm. a text that Lewis is responding to, like, a specific text rather than, like, just oral tradition, you know? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to get into it. Cool. And then the week, or next week, before we get to that, we do have another Animorphs episode coming up, which is going to be number 24, The Suspicion. Yes. And that's going to be next week. Yeah, we have a lot of thoughts about it. Mm. Mm. (laughs) In the meantime, if you need to get in touch with us for any reason whatsoever, if you have a book you would like us to cover because you think we would either love it or hate it, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should because you guys, the next Animorphs book, <laughs> you got you to gotta stick with us so you can hear about that clusterfuck. <laughs> <laughs> If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you do not, that's okay, because you're allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Phyllis Reynolds Naylor, Perhaps Charles is the one who did it, he said. And then taking my hands, he said, I'll tell no one, Judith, for I truly don't care. Matter not, you are the one I love. Couple goals. Beautiful, beautiful. Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware. I'm the podcast where we finish, delve. Going to, I'm going to finish the intro. <laughs> One of these the days. podcast. Fuck off. <laughs> uh, is that how it goes? How does it go? The podcast where we delve into books. No, it's definitely not what I say, because I don't say delve. I know I say we read books outside, but does it start with the podcast, really? I guess it does. Okay. I I don't know. (laughs) Now I'm I'm questioning everything I know about everything. Because I know I say we read books outside of our comfort zones is most of it. Okay. Hold on. Let me just start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's The podcast? Mm -hmm. It is a podcast. We do. We do do that. Ostensibly. Uh... (laughs)
if you podcast into the void, is it truly a podcast? If there's no one uh, on the internet to hear your podcast, does it make a sound? <laughs> I guess not. Um, someone has to hear it. All right. Welcome back, Larry Slummers, to another episode. Another episode of Self-Aware. What the fuck is happening? I'm having a stroke. Have you started taking your meds already and they're having an adverse reaction? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Welcome back, literary slummers. (laughs) Keep going through it. I'm going to keep going through it. (laughs) 